Regular podcast guest and Popular Mechanics executive editor Peter Martin, whose office is right next to my desk, recently got in a shipment of specs. These little magnetic desk toy balls from the maker of Buckyballs that you smash around and roll up into cylinders. So we've been playing with them all week, which got us thinking about magnets. And while there are a lot of fun, useless things you can do with magnets, they can also be surprisingly helpful in the garage. For example, you can magnetize a non-magnetic screwdriver by repeatedly running a strong magnet down its length. That way, the end of your screwdriver will hold a screw in place so you can get it started without it falling on the ground. On this week's podcast, we've got so many tips to make your Labor Day weekend the best and most productive one ever. First, we call a TV repairman because Kevin found a TV in the street and wanted to know if it was salvageable. Our repairman gave us some smart hacks for cheaply fixing a TV whose picture's gone off. After that, we put together a primer on the best ways to see all this year's pro and college football games without cable, and our editorial assistant Eleanor went bravely out in search of tips for winning common lawn games, from croquet to cornhole. Get your lawn chair ready and crack open a refreshing domestic beer, y'all. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler, and the most useful podcast ever is ready for Labor Day. Well, we're here right now with Randy Thompson, who's an audio-video electronics technician with ShopJimmy.com. I found a TV on the street recently and decided to try and repair it. And there was a big red vertical bar on the screen, and I gave ShopJimmy a call for some help. Randy, thanks for jumping in. We're hoping you can help us figure out what things can actually be fixed, because mine, it turns out, was not fixable. <laughs> could, could not fix. <laughs> it was a bad yeah. decision. So is the best way to diagnose a TV to look at what's happening on the screen first, and then can you make some pretty quick judgments from there? Yeah, you can. Basically, you're going to look for anything that looks like a line or a colored bar that goes vertically or horizontally. It's usually a pretty serious issue, usually something with the actual display itself. They have ICs, which actually drive segments of the panel. And when those go bad, that's usually what you see. Either that or it's taken some kind of physical trauma where somebody's hit it with something and that particular part of the panel is damaged. Some sets today where they have a picture, but it's really dark and really dim. And that's usually like a backlight failure. And backlights on the older sets, they were using CFL lamps. On these newer TVs, they use LED strips. And the LED strips, we've been seeing typically around three years, and they are failing. That's something that can be fixed, but it's time-consuming. So on mine, it was a vertical bar that was mainly red, but it had some other colors in it. And it turned out to be a bad panel, which was not worth fixing because the new panel is too expensive. If you see a vertical bar, is that pretty much always no luck or is that sometimes fixable? A vertical bar can be something as simple as a bad ribbon connector between the T-Con and the panel. You know, you've got that address board that addresses the whole panel that's connected to the T-Con. If you have something wrong with the actual ribbon, that flat ribbon cable, it can cause bars too. I've seen all kinds of strange issues in the last couple of years, mainly because a lot of the product today is sourced from China. And sometimes the quality is a little bit iffy on some of the wires and cables. But most of the time, if you see something that's a solid bar that goes up and down or across, it's usually the panel. What's a T-Con board? T-Con board is what they call a timing control board. Basically what it does is it drives the actual physical LCD screen. On a plasma, they use the logic board, which basically works on the same principle. What it does is it turns on the individual segments for video. It's kind of a translation board. The main board sends a signal down a cable they call an LVDS cable, a low-voltage distribution cable. But the TCON boards basically will fail, and a lot of times the symptom with a TCON failure is you're going to have like a gray screen, but you'll still have sound, and the screen is lit, and you look, and it'll be backlit, but there'll be nothing there. 
Sometimes that's a shorted panel. Sometimes it's just the T-Con itself. There are panels where the T-Con is actually integrated into the actual screen now, which is not the best move as far as longevity goes, but it's a cost-saving move. Well, so I noticed when I, because I opened my, at the back of mine up, trying to fix it, just looking at YouTube first. And I'm surprised because it seems like there's only a few different boards in flat screen TVs now. And it also doesn't seem like they're that expensive. So is a T-Con one where it's actually cheap enough that it's worth replacing? And is it something a, a normal person can replace? Yeah, T-Con is something that a normal person can try. They're generally, you know, $25 to $50. It's definitely worth a try. I've fixed a lot of sets, and a lot of times it's just T-Cons. You basically have a power supply, a main board, and a T-Con, and that's pretty much every LCD out there. So for the next time I find a TV on the street, <laughs> what are the things where if I plug it in, I should just run away? If you see a ton of bed bugs crawling out of it, definitely <laughs> If you that. see cockroaches, run away from it. <laughs> <laughs> I have literally taken the back off stuff and put the back right back on right away and wrapped the thing up in shrink wrap right away. Because there's bugs that's in really it? That's, that's happened? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's horrible. I work with guys that work for Best Buy down in Texas, and they would open up DLP TVs and find snakes inside of them. No. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. That's terrifying. That sounds like an unfixable problem. <laughs> yeah. We opened up a lot of 15-inch Polaroid sets about eight years ago, and there was two dead geckos that had managed to get themselves <laughs> inside of a 15-inch Polaroid through the stand opening. Oh wow. And you're like, sir, I think I found your problem. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this morning I was looking at refurbished projectors online. How do you feel about refurbished programs? Does it depend on the vendor, or is it something that you generally are pretty confident in. I myself, when it comes to products like printers and other things, and vacuum cleaners, carpet cleaners, I buy refurbished stuff because I know there's really no difference between it and a new one. Right. Okay. That's good. Are there certain brands of TVs that are less likely to break, you know, that you like don't see very often in your repair business? It's good to stick with the name brands today, the Sonys, the Samsungs, the LGs, for the most part, because there's still companies that still engineer and manufacture the majority of their product. There's smaller set size, screen size now where they're not 4K TVs, where the companies are outsourcing them to other companies, mostly Chinese, to save money. But yeah, for the most part, if you buy an LG or a Samsung, you're not going to have too much issue. The Vizios are a pretty good TV set, too. So you said that there's basically just three boards on most TVs now, and the T-Con's apparently really cheap. Are the other two boards also ones that are cheap to replace? Depends on the manufacturer and screen size. For instance, we sell main boards, T-Con's power supplies, and then we sell kits. And we'll sell a kit which will have all three boards in it. If you really are willing to shotgun it, you can order the kit and try all three boards. But if you have a bad display or bad LEDs, you're probably wasting your time. But at the same point, it may actually fix the issue. Power supply boards can vary a lot. It depends on what kind of brand of product it is. But the price of parts is actually quite cheap today. And are they all things that you could swap out with just normal tools? Like the T-Con looked like it was pretty much just a screwdriver. Is it more involved than that? Phillips screwdriver and knowing how to open up the two connectors and squeeze the LVDS cable connector off. That's basically it. It's pretty simple. Are there any things that we could spot in a TV that aren't terrible signs, things that a normal person could fix? If you see something that looks like maybe a burnt capacitor, a disk capacitor on the power supply and the set is dead, Chances are you can probably just change the power supply board and the set will run again. How would you spot that? The caps will have what look like a burn mark in them. You'll look at it, it'll look like a little 
dot of a capacitor with two leads coming out of it. We see a lot of those, a lot of burnt-up disc capacitors and blown fuses on especially Vizio power supplies and the older ones. The other thing you can look for is a lot of the sets have power indicators, and if the power indicator sits and blinks at you when you plug it in, not necessarily a power supply issue. A lot of times that's going to be a main board issue where the main is telling you that something is wrong with it or something is wrong with the screen itself. Sharps, for instance, will blink a code of 2.5. If you see a 2.5 code on a sharp screen, it's all over with. It means the LCD screen has failed. Is this an indicator that's on the board itself, or is this like the light that turns on when you turn the set on? That's on the front of the TV. It's the power indicator. Some of the smarter manufacturers used it as a troubleshooting guide in the past. Panasonic used to do that on their plasmas, and Sharp did it on their LCDs. But that's something you can go Google if it's flashing a certain code. You can find out what that yeah, is. Yeah, there's a lot of information out there. You type in your model number, and if it's blinking a code, somebody out there has seen it before. It's a good thing to have the Internet today. And I guess we should mention that you guys have actually put up some, because I found Shop Jimmy because I found some of your repair videos online. Yep. So that's something people can check out, too. And I just wanted to ask before we go, why is it called Shop Jimmy? Well, the owner's name is Jimmy. It's <laughs> 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 <a> good reason. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Randy. All righty. Have a good day. Nice talking. Thank you. College football has started up already, and pro is starting this coming week. I know a lot of people have cable just so they can watch sports, but Peter Martin has been looking into other ways that you can see your favorite sports teams win or lose. What did you find out? I found out that there are a ton. There are too many. It is overwhelming. (laughs) But also, every single one has a flaw. Maybe not everyone. Well, a lot of them. Even my favorite one, I think, has a flaw. It's oh. expensive. <laughs> so we're not going to list all of them because that, I imagine, would be boring. Take forever. So we're going to do top five or just five most interesting that we found. Okay. So the cheapest option, the NFL mobile on Verizon. You see the ads for this all the time. The guy's always watching the, the game on his phone. Like at a funeral or something, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hide it under something. So that's five, I mean, I'm not laughing. That's not very funny. It's five bucks a month, and you get to watch the games that are in your area live on your phone. Okay, so. and, the way, and this is if you have Verizon, the cell phone carrier, yes. or if you have Verizon Fios? I think it's if you have Verizon as a cell phone carrier, but okay. if you have Verizon Fios. What do you need this for? Yeah, right. maybe you're out, maybe you're at a funeral, you right. want to watch the game then. In which case, $5 you're, you're a, a month, you can do it. One of the things that's new this year, you can watch the games on Amazon Prime. Instead oh. of last year, they did some stuff with Twitter. This year, Amazon is streaming 10 of the Thursday night games. They're free if you have a membership or a friend's membership or anything like that. Or whatever it is you have. All right, next one, PlayStation View. Most interesting thing about PlayStation View is that you do not need a PlayStation, which oh. I thought was interesting. Because What's in it for them then? I don't have one. I mean, they're taking their cut. How do you they're watch it if, you're, if you don't have a PlayStation? You can put it on a Roku. You can put it on Apple TV. Oh. You can just a lot of different devices. And these start at thirty nine dollars a month. The packages go up to seventy five bucks a month. But that's if you're paying for like HBO or Showtime or those sorts of things. For thirty nine dollars a month, you get NBC, Fox, ESPN. One and two, CBS and ABC. The last two are only if you live in select coverage areas. So in D.C. I looked, and those guys don't get CBS or ABC, (laughs) but in New York we get both. So And for pro, yeah, you you need NBC, Fox, ESPN, and CBS if you want all the games. ABC, no thanks. Yeah, it doesn't. College for Jackie. That's all I need. (laughs) Go Florida State. Excuse me. (laughs) And then the NFL offers one, which you think would be the best one. But it's not? Not the best one. Oh. It is one of the less expensive ones. It's $99 for the season. And it's one of the few that lets you watch every game, not just the games that are in your local area. The catch is that you cannot watch them until the game is off of regular TV. Ooh. So. That seems like a huge That's a huge drawback. Yeah. It's hard to, you lock yourself in your room. 
so that you don't see anything, don't talk to any friends. If you play fantasy, it's impossible. Cause... How many friends do you think you could get to come if you said, hey, I have <laughs> NFL Game Pass, let's watch the game at my house, but we have to wait till it's over? How many? It depends. Do Three? You live, do you live people? in Hawaii? <laughs> That's true. That's just a complicated time zone difference to figure out, though. Yeah. What are they, seven hours before us? If they played it live... Wait, the are Sunday, they seven? I think so. Yeah. Okay. It, might, it might be only six, but it's a lot. Right. It might be three behind the West Coast. Should we see what time it is in Hawaii? All right, so the 1 o'clock game in Hawaii, if they played it live, which they must, would be 6 It's currently 10 a.m. in Hawaii. It's 4 p.m. here, so, so it's 6, six hours. hours. Yes. Okay. Daylight savings might? Maybe they don't do daylight savings. I have no idea. Who knows? But for right now, right that, at this very moment. that game would start at 5 in the morning. So it'd be great to sleep. Right, you sleep in, wake up, watch your NFL. So if you're living yeah. in Hawaii, Wait, that five, is no, your... 7 in the morning, right? Is it, if the game starts at 1, what's 6 hours before then? Oh, yeah. Kevin's in here to fact check math. <laughs> Kevin's good at math here. So you'd have He's to sleep until one. 10 Hawaii time. Yeah, that's doable. Yeah, that's doable. I could so do that. Doable. Yeah. That'd, be, that'd be fine. So let's all move to Hawaii and get this cheap one. That's Exactly. The okay. money we spend on living there, we will get, <laughs> we'll earn back in our savings on the, the Game Pass. Let's see. And the last one, my favorite one, is DirecTV NFL Sunday ticket. You can watch any game whenever, live. You don't have to move to Hawaii. How much does that cost? It is a lot. It is $47 a month on top of your cable bill. Ooh. So you have to have cable to get it. There actually, There's a little loophole where you can get it without getting cable if you live in like one of the two little villages that don't have DirecTV service. <laughs> but it's like satellite television, pretty much beam a satellite anywhere, so there's not a lot of places where you can do that. Right. And then you still pay the 40 some dollars a month, but you don't have to pay the 100 bucks for your cable. Yikes. But that gives you every game live. And you could fun. charge people admission as That's if you true. were a bar. And the other thing, you can use any mobile device to watch the games too, which means double TV. Which funerals. Means, I was saying, which means fu- funerals. Funeral, yeah. Funeral sports watching is back on, guys. Yeah. The only issue with watching streaming something through them or anywhere is that you get a little bit of a lag. So if you're watching on your phone while there's another game on the TV, you will see the score on the ticker on the TV before it happens on your Ooh, phone. Ooh, that's a little... So Are you, you saying can't... that because that's happened to you? Oh, all the time. Well, because we actually set up a second TV in the room so that we can have one <laughs> one game on that using... Wow. Is your wife a big football fan? No, but she's a very lovely woman she's who lets me jolly. do She's very jolly. Extremely <laughs> jolly woman. Or if somebody's like checking fantasy and be like, oh, this guy just scored. And it's like, all right, I'm five to ten seconds behind that, so thanks yeah. for ruining it. And then last one. Okay. Bonus. Uh, bonus I don't, one. I don't think I prepared you for. Free... And oh. illegal. Ooh. Oh. So it's the most dangerous podcast ever. Living dangerous. Most underground, sneaky, for anarchist podcast ever. The best thing, I mean, you can like hunt Periscope and try to find some guy who's showing the Tampa Bay game from his living room, but that's going to kind of suck in your Plus his commentary. Also. He's going to be also, like, going hey, through guess Periscope what? hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Periscope's exhausting. So instead of that, Reddit has a NFL stream thread that all the Reddit users are amazing. They yeah. collect everything. They're great. They'll list all the games they can find. You just find the feed, click on that, and it just pretty much aggregates all the places that are illegally streaming online, and right. you can watch there. And you will get a virus. Probably. Probably. But you'll also get to watch the game. But you also get to watch the games for free. Yeah. So maybe worth it. We did not advise that yeah, here. Yeah, we don't, just, uh, we don't case, sanction that, but yeah, you should know the, it's out there. Uh, well, I don't even know who would prosecute us for that, but whoever it is, We're we not, don't advocate that. It's not so. a good thing to do. Yeah, don't do that. Time again for our favorite segment with Eleanor thermostat facts thermostat facts back again for another week <laughs> so i was under the impression that a thermostat was just the thing that you have in your house that makes it colder or warmer but apparently it is any feedback control device that has to do with heat so there's a thermostat in your refrigerator there's a thermostat in your clothes iron there's a thermostat in your oven oh. anything that's sensing heat and keeping it at a temperature that you want is technically a thermostat oh 
but for clarity's sake, I think the thermostat <laughs> in your house the is one the, in, in the one in, for your air conditioning is the one people think about. For the these one people facts. think about. Yeah. I have a very fun fact about the first recorded inventor of a thermostat. Dutch innovator Cornelis Drebbel, who lived in the beginning of the 17th century in the Netherlands, made himself a thermostat using some mercury back when that was a thing that you... <laughs> back when kids played with it. <laughs> and no one was face. worried about that. That was science. It was just mercury. <laughs> and he used that to incubate eggs. But this guy, he invented a submarine. He invented a microscope. He invented a projector. And the King of England liked him so much that he brought him to his court and basically had him there as like an in-house inventor to like keep him That's entertained. That's so great. He's just like, uh, okay, you know what I really need is something to show moving pictures on. Can you make Come something for that? that? Come on, just do that. And being the 1600s, everyone was like, this guy is a sorcerer. And then he what? died from mercury poisoning. Probably. So that's Cornelis Drevel. Remember that name. <laughs> yeah, why have we never heard of this guy? <laughs> Maybe if we were like Cornelis Thermostat Drevel. Then we probably would have known better. Right. It should have been named after him. Yeah. Your Drebbel. <laughs> Just adjust the can you go, Drebbel. Can you go turn the Drebbel down? It's hot in here. <laughs> Who's been messing with the Drebbel? <laughs> in modern thermostat facts, and this will be useful, Google's Nest is coming out with its new prototype, the Nest E. E is for everyone, so everyone can have it. The Nest is a self-learning thermostat. so <laughs> it sounds terrifying. <laughs> it's one of those like smart home items. You can program it, but it'll figure out based on when you want it cooler, when you want it warmer, when you're out of the house, and it'll automatically change the temperature of your house without you having to do anything, so you'll save energy. And if you, like, remember that you accidentally set your house to be, like, 100 degrees and you're not at home, you can change it with an app on your phone. Sounds like a good Dremel. It does sound like a very good Dremel. (laughs) A a Dremel E for everyone. (laughs) This one is a little bit nicer. It will blend into your wall. They say it can pay for itself in two years or less with the money that you save. Some companies give you rebates to get one of these sort of smart thermostats. So I looked it up. In my area code, I would get a $75 rebate from my provider. You should get one. Well, I don't know how my landlord would feel about that. But, you hey, know. it's forever. Tell them it's for everyone. Take it for when you leave, right? <laughs> Just rip it out of the wall. It's pretty easy to install. I don't know, man. This thermostat fax has gone off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with thermostats. Sometimes they just get out of hand. We need a thermostat for this conversation. It's getting too hot. And that's been Thermostat Fact. Roy Berenson's here. Woo! (laughs) What what an intro. Thanks, Jackie. She never says anything nice about me, so you you really lucked out. And Peter Martin. But more importantly, Roy's here. So what are you going to talk to us about, Roy? Gutters. (laughs) Gutters. Gutters. We're in the gutter. I'm excited. It's gutter season. I don't know. It's not. No, no. I mean, in some ways, uh, yeah. People tend to think of fall because all the leaves, you know, right, are accumulating. But as we draw closer, well, we're actually in the hurricane season right so it's time to have good gutters yeah well this started because i looked at my in-laws gutters and there were two foot trees growing out of them last weekend so which is impressive it was was cool and it was fun because i got to get up on the roof and pull them out and it's great when you pull out a two foot bush and like a big chunk of dirt (laughs) that's underneath it (laughs) yeah no that was like very very satisfying reading how long have they been neglecting these gutters oh i mean probably years it's been a long time Yeah. yeah well what happens is that you know leaves and seed pods obviously seeds in this case fall into the gutter. It's a moist environment, right? right? 
and it's being warmed by the sun. So what your gutters become when you don't clean them out is a compost factory. Because this looked like soil. This looked like someone had planted bushes. It is absolutely essentially potting soil in the gutters. Could you like take that out of there and like use it to fertilize your... Absolutely, yeah. No, I mean, it's dense, nutrient-rich. However, I mean, the caveat there is that it often contains noxious sort of stuff, tree seeds and perhaps weed seeds and goodness knows dead birds. And I've found almost everything in gutters, including one time a rubber rat believe it or not. What? Yeah. I wonder how that crawled in there. <laughs> well, some kids in the neighborhood were probably throwing rats shooting, around. Shooting, shooting rubber you, never, rats. you ever played throw the rat? I used to play that all the time. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's, that's the only thing I can think of. So for people who don't have dead animals or trees in their gutters, what should we all be doing to get ready for hurricane season or just next week? Well, yeah, as, as far as your gutters are concerned, if you live in a leafy area, yeah, this is not a bad time to get up there and have a look, you know, and clean them out. The gutter obviously should be firmly attached to the house. Hurricane season brings high winds along with the rain. So the gutter needs to be firmly attached. The drain cup at the end of the gutter to which the downspout or the leader attaches, that cup needs to be sealed to the bottom of the gutter. That's an easy job, by the way. A few seconds with a wire brush or a putty knife and some gutter seal can just seal that flange properly to the gutter. And then the leader, the downspout and leader needs to be firmly attached. And that's it. You want it to discharge, of course, if possible, several feet from the foundation. You know, four feet is a rule of thumb. I feel like I've never actually seen a gutter that did do that. I feel like they always just kind of come straight down and then they point out kind of a, you know, yeah, a couple, six inches or an something elbow. and then that's the end of that. Yeah, well, you want either at the very least a splash block or a short piece of leader to lead it away. And here's the key. You don't want to attach that. You want it free so that you can slip it off, run by with the tractor or lawnmower, the string trimmer, and then you just slip it back on and that there you go. There's ways to make it look attractive. There's other things you can do in terms of landscaping and ways you can hide that. But in other cases, you can't learn to live with it. How do you clean a gutter? You just use a hose or what do you? Well, in most cases, you just scoop it out with your hands. Uh, Hosing it clean is the gold standard, depending on how dirty that gutter is and how much debris is in it. It's important to keep that elbow immediately after that drain cup there. There's normally an elbow. The entire system has to be cleaned. The gutter itself and those elbows. And sometimes you need to get a wire hanger and blast that elbow clean with a garden hose and a nozzle. Pretty basic stuff. Be sure it's flowing freely. Take out the big stuff. Shoot it down with a hose. So Roy's advice, keep your elbows clean. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Keep your elbows clean, folks. All right. Thanks, Roy. Yeah, you're welcome. This weekend is Labor Day, which I'm sure everybody is super excited about. I know I am. And we asked Eleanor, who is our... You're becoming like our research expert. I love this stuff. Yeah. I thought you were going to say our yard game expert. I was going to say I'm not a yard game expert, (laughs) but I can Google stuff like nothing. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if you guys heard my Frisbee throwing last week, but I'm not either. So maybe you and I could play some games sometimes. (laughs) So you came up with some tips for several different popular lawn games that people will probably be playing this weekend. Yes. I'll start with Cornhole because... Because it's the best. Because it's a great game and has a ridiculous name. (laughs) So I looked up some tips for Cornhole and 
you have a better chance of scoring points if you don't aim for the hole. If you try to hit the front of the board, you might slide in and you'll at least get bags on the board and potentially be able to block your opponents. So that's good. Okay. Also, most of the world's top cornhole players, as I learned, (laughs) do not just lob the bag. They give it a little bit of a spin. Not quite like a frisbee frisbee toss like Jackie knows how to do now. Not quite like a frisbee toss, Uh, just with your wrist. So it slides around. It'll keep it like horizontal to the ground. Oh, interesting. Parallel to the ground. Next up, Can Jam. Now, what is what is Can Jam? <laughs> oh, it's the best game. Are you kidding? Okay. Where are you from? Is this like a hometown game? No, I learned when I went to school in Boston, and I won once, which is the only reason <laughs> that I love it. It's like you have two garbage can looking things set up apart from each other with like a you little fires in them to stay warm. <laughs> it sounds like a fun. That game. sounds very Boston. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty on brand for New England. But there's a slit in the front, and you have frisbee. So it's a frisbee game. If you get the frisbee through the front of the can with a K, then you win, or you can get points by your partner slam the Frisbee down into the can or just bounce it off the can. Is this one of the ones where it's like you're on a team, but there's one person on your team stationed at each can? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's a lot more fun than I've made it sound. But basically, if you want to win, it's all in the scoring. So just like Cornhole, you're trying to get up to 21. And so basically all of the advice I saw was don't go for the fancy shots. Don't try to like win in one with a toss through the front. Just try to get enough Frisbees inside the can and rack up the points. Okay. That's how I would play because the odds of me getting a Frisbee inside a can, I mean, like, honestly, I could probably do that for 20 years straight and I would never get it in there. So if it's windy, all bets are off. I don't know. If it's windy, I think we're in even worse shape, to be honest. All right. What else you got? All right. Bringing us back into the realm of, of usual games that exist. Long games. Oh, Peter's <laughs> life is devoid of happiness and joy. I'm, That's the thing about I've Peter's life. I've never played Can Jam. Jam Can? Can Jam. <laughs> all right. This weekend, I'll try it. I'm going to ask about I that. I better have fun. <laughs> or else. Bocce, is that is Ooh, that is a good one. Heard of that one. Okay. Of course you do, because you're like an old Italian man. <laughs> For bocce, you have a good chance of doing well if you use an underhand throw, so none of this like overhand nonsense, and aim, instead of right at the small ball, aim right the in Paulina. F- is that what it's called? Yeah. Whoa. What? You really are an old Italian man. That's, I mean. Paulina? Yeah. Okay. Paulino. I think it's maybe Paulino. Sounds but I like Italian. to feminize my long game, so. <laughs> If you aim right in front of it, you have a better chance of getting close because your ball is going to roll a little bit. For croquet, this one's short but sweet. Instead of trying to swing the mallet like it's a golf mallet, sort of like straddle where the ball is and swing the mallet in between your, your legs. legs. So you get like, like a, a granny shot. Yeah, exactly. Basketball. Like the Red Queen in the old <laughs> cartoon Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, she knew what she was doing. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't she play with a flamingo or something? I think she did play with a flamingo, yes. Okay. Well, I can't vouch for that. but <laughs> Don't play with a flamingo, but do do it how she did. Yeah. Ladder golf, which I had never heard of, but sounds fun. very fun. And well, I don't know what this is. But this is the one, it's like just a little stack. It's three rungs, and then you take two balls that are probably separated by six inches of string, maybe more, eight, and throw them and try to get them to wrap around the rungs. Oh, okay. Fun. Is it like a different amount of points per rung? Yeah, I think the top rung is the fewest points, and it gets higher as you go down. So we actually have some controversy on the ladder Ooh. golf. Because conflicting advice. Brent Dowd, the inventor of ladder golf, says that you should hold the balls when you throw. Hold one, allow the other one to swing in like a pendulum motion, so the string's fully extended, and then it'll wait. So you hold one ball. Yes, and then you. I don't like Brent's approach. All right. Well, you'll like Andy Fruchure, the champion of (laughs) monkey ball. Oh, he's the champion of monkey ball. It's the same thing. Okay. Some people just call it monkey ball. He's the champion at the monkey ball world finals. He said the exact opposite. He said, pinch the rope right in the middle, That's and then what when I would you do. throw it, the balls do not go end over end. They Sticking get thrown the parallel. Champ. 
you know, maybe it depends on how you're. Because you invented it doesn't mean you're good at it. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. That's true. But both did agree you should aim for the middle rung because if you mess up one way or the other, you have more of a chance of hitting at least one of the rungs. Makes total sense. Want to hear about wiffle ball? Oh wait, sorry. Oh, wiffle ball. <laughs> yeah, I can't forget about wiffle ball. So this one was really cool. So an actual wiffle ball doesn't have the round holes all over it. It has like sort of oblong holes just on one side and that controls how the ball is thrown so you can basically spin it in a direction that you want if you orient it correctly before you throw so because the ball fills up with air and pushes away from the holes basically so if you want the ball to go right to left throw it with the holes to the right if you want to drop throw it with the holes up if you want it to rise, holes down. And if you want it to go left to right, throw it with the holes to the left. Oh, so I, I think the tip there is get a friend who doesn't know that about wiffle balls <laughs> and get a fancy wiffle ball and win Strike everything. Strike out your friend. Yeah, because you're a jerk who likes to cheat at long games. That's what long games are all about. <laughs> Happy Labor Day, then. Enjoy your long games. So Matt Allen is playing, you look ridiculous. You're like punching these little red things that are attacking you in a virtual reality thing right now. <laughs> He's, you're like leaping around. This is incredible. Yeah. So what is the name of this thing that you're playing with? I was just playing Super Hot VR, which sounds like it might be an adult game, yeah. but it's not. It's not. It's a, <laughs> it's a first person shooter where you get to, among other things, dodge bullets. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, and so I was looking at it on this computer screen, and I could watch what you were seeing, I think, ish. Yeah, no, that's and, it. Yeah, and there were these little red dudes that came up, and you were punching them. Mm-hmm. And you were like, it looked like you were getting, like, a workout over there. Yeah, this is a game that was recommended to me when I was researching the augmented reality virtual reality story for October issue. Okay. A lot of uh, VR experts say this is a game they play, just because there is a lot of movement, and you don't think you're exercising, but, like, all of a sudden, like, you'll actually start sweating after a half hour. Right. It'd be good for kids, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So what is this system called? Okay, so we have the HTC Vive, which is sort of the premier tethered headset unit for virtual reality. Okay. What that tethered means is it's hooked up to a gaming computer right now. And sort of the drawback, and also why it's so nice, is there is a ton of computer need power behind this thing. Okay. You have to have a gaming computer to be able to play with this thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You can't just have a computer. You need a gaming computer for this. Okay. And how much does this cost? It's uh, $600 for the headset. A good gaming computer, though, will run you about $2,000. Right. Yeah. I, I seem to remember that whenever you're looking at computers, they're like, well, you don't really need this unless you're playing serious games. And then that's when the computers get expensive. Yeah. And I should say the reason why you need a gaming computer is because there's a 3D world created around you and it has to react so fast that you don't get motion sickness and that's another reason why this is one of the good ones because you don't get sick like it refreshes fast enough right and uh, how many games can you play on it you know i think uh our steam account here at the office has over 100 games uh, and i'm sure that's just a small slice of what's out there right yeah i was so you let me try it the other day when you were working on your story and Mm -hmm. i got to go inside google maps i feel like google earth google earth and that was really cool yeah you just like walk around in yosemite and Mm -hmm. be like here i am this is neat you know Mm -hmm. so that was very cool as well yeah so there's all sorts of different kinds of games there's like shooting things yeah okay there's a lot of first person shooters there's stuff that's puzzle based and then there's things that are just sort of uh you know, let you explore, like yeah. Google Earth, yeah. It was pretty fun. I really liked it. Mm-hmm. But how long have you been playing with it? For a few months? Yeah, about a month or so now. Okay. Mm-hmm. And would you buy it? I'm not a huge gamer. If right. I was, I probably would. 
but I don't have a gaming computer at home. So. Right. I feel like it would be good, like I said a second ago, for kids. You know, mm-hmm. if you've got like a kid that's obsessed with gaming and just isn't getting any exercise yeah. and you're frustrated about it, you know, maybe you'd pick up this headset and be like, well, at least he's going to he'll run around in the living room and get some fitness out of it. Yeah. And I've also played some of the other VR consoles like the PlayStation. And I could say, you know, that like if you're into gaming, you will get your money's worth with these there's no cheap version though right there is uh if you're thinking of the phone-based vr headsets those are very limited in their capabilities compared to these things mm-hmm. um like they're only sitting based usually you're not going to want to use it for more than 15 minutes or so they don't have full 360 view around you you can sort of just like look to the side and around it a little bit can't move as much mm-hmm. uh, you can't move at all really like with the uh, htc vive I set up a parameter. There's a couple sensors in this room, so it knows where I can go, so I don't run into a table. And yeah, and you're totally free to move around your whatever space you have. Right. I wonder if, how many people trip over coffee tables playing with these things. <laughs> I feel like it's a lot. Barking your shins on. Yeah, something. the the game is good about it. There's always sort of a wireframe of the room as you get too close to it. Oh, really? Yeah. So it'll tell you like you're close to a wall or something. Yeah, it's sort of like it, the the wireframe starts to appear in whatever you're looking at. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. We did an event here. I don't know if you were here at this time, but we got to go check out Microsoft's studios here in New York City, mm-hmm. and they let us play with their augmented reality. Oh, yeah. And they had a game where these alien creatures mm-hmm. that look like scorpions crawled out of the walls, and yeah. you got to shoot them with this like fake gun. And honest to God, I have never been a gamer. I think I mm-hmm. played Mar- Super Mario Bros. 3 a couple times when I was a preteen, and mm-hmm. then apart from that, that's pretty much it. But it was so fun. I was like, how much does this cost? I will buy this right now. <laughs> It was awesome. Did they tell you how much it costs, a HoloLens? Oh, yeah, I don't even... Like, yeah, it's, it's like four or five grand. Yeah, I was yeah, going to so. say more than I could afford because I don't mm-hmm. own it. But this is a, seems like a really cool one as well and a lot cheaper. Yeah, augmented reality, we're going to get a lot of good stuff on the next sort of generation of mobile phones, probably the next Apple iPhone. It sounds like it's being built with a lot of like 3D sensing so it can really take a good map of the room around you and, you know, put a zombie or a scorpion or a like Rube Goldberg machine on your coffee table. Ooh, that yeah. sounds fun. I love Rube Goldberg machines. Yeah. Cool. This is the HTC Vive. It is $600 and we think it's pretty cool. It's very cool. That's our show, y'all. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Brandcasters, Inc. at www.brandcastingu.com. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you want to read more about electronics repair, check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.